So the crack of dawn, I wake up to an obnoxious screaming of Stella on top of their lungs. And I thought I was dreaming, but it went on for a couple of minutes. Saturdays is the only time we can really sleep in. And waking up to Stella that is being screamed roughly at 6 a.m. wasn't a very pleasant uh, wake-up call. And all I could think about was the 1951 a streetcar named um, Desire, where Marlon Brando was screaming Stella outside of Kim Hunter's window. And all I could think of, Marlon's not going to get a Kim welcome this morning, but Ashton Kutcher may have. Good morning. Welcome to Rekindle XM podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing a very interesting topic that is hitting the hot headlines recently, and that is quiet quitting. And with me are Michelle and Brian. Hello. Hello. So drinking a cup of coffee this morning, I was really dumbfounded at the Gallup article. It really blew my mind. Gallup did, did an estimate in 2022 doing a survey across force, and they estimate that more than 50% of our workforce is quite quitting. Well, first, I had to educate myself on what quite quitting is, because to me, when somebody says I'm quite quitting, it really means you're not showing up to work and doing nothing. You're just collecting a paycheck. So that was my first impression. But the Gallup defines quite quitting as not engaged at workplace, people who do minimum required and are psychologically detached from their job. And not engaged is defined as actively disengaged. And I started to really think about that and wonder throughout my years as a business owner and a career woman, how many times did I really face a workforce that was actively disengaged? And I started to really connect the dots. But I really wanted to hear from you, Michelle and Brian. What are your thoughts about quiet quitting? Have you heard this term before? Have you faced it in the workplace? I think we've all faced it at one point or another. And as a previous supervisor and program manager, I've definitely seen this a few times. Um, yeah, I when I read this article and realized that 50% of the current workforce is quiet quitting, you know, my thought immediately went to, well, who's doing all the work then? Because that's half of your workforce that's doing the bare minimum. Um, Masha, you'll remember this. So you and I, we sat in a meeting, and I think for both of us, it might have been one of our first experiences um, with a younger um, employee who was kind of coming into the workforce. And I remember sitting in a meeting, and she was texting while you and I were trying to actively teach her what she needed to do. And um, now that I look back at that, I'm like, oh, there was someone who was not engaged. And, you know, it was probably partially our fault as well as the program managers because we probably didn't understand the best ways to interact with a younger person coming on, but we were both dumbfounded. We didn't actually know what to do with ourselves. We're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this person is texting while we're trying to actively train her. Um, so yes, I think we've all seen examples of this and some of us are quiet quitters. I was a quiet quitter before it was even quiet quitting. <laughs> okay, do tell us more. We're really eager to hear from the insider. Uh-huh. You know, this isn't a new fad. Um, 
as you look back, everybody is somewhat disengaged as they work during the day. And if you're either bored because what you're doing isn't motivating enough for you to want to do it, or are you just overwhelmed and you don't want to work on it? Or there's a lot of issues that come into quiet quitting, not necessarily the ones that the Gallup poll mentioned, which are valid points in what they're saying. The thing that I found interesting is that, like you, I thought a quiet quitter was someone that was basically not doing anything and just showing up and getting their paycheck. But according to the definition, they actually are doing the things that are in that are in their job description. They're just not going above and beyond, which is an interesting expectation in the at least the U.S. workforce that. You know, a really we, we kind of expect our really strong workers to go above and beyond. So that's a whole nother conversation about, well, should we expect people to do things that are not in their job description? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I will say, though, that a lot of job descriptions have this one little clause at the end, which says, and other duties as assigned. So that's that's how my boss always got away with it. They're like, oh, and this is other duties as assigned. <laughs> that's interesting. I have a story of a very interesting scenario, and, and that's the first thing that popped into my mind about quite quitting. When I ran my own business in, my goodness, years ago, we had an operations manager, and that operations manager was from what we thought was a stellar employee. I mean, he was knocking the ball out of the ballpark every single time. He was high energy. He was running around. He was showing up. He appeared to be very engaged. But then uh, I was responsible for monitoring customer complaints and issues. And we were getting complaints of, hey, where's my order? And I was kind of dumbfounded thinking, you know, reviewing the delivery logs, like, well, it's been dropped off you know, months ago, what do you mean where it's at? And then there's another one and another one and another one it was like popcorn. I'm like, well, what's going on? Where are all these orders? And within the week of just kind of getting this influx of where's my order? And I'm saying, what do you mean? It's been delivered. Here's the the date of delivery. I can totally track the order to not being lost. A thought dawned on me, and I just got in my car, went to that ops manager van, checked the van, nothing there. And then I thought about, hey, what about your personal car? So checked the car, and nothing there. And then I just had this gut feeling. I'm like, pop the trunk. He pops the trunk, and everything was just overflowing with all the missing orders. And that was just the beginning of it. I was in shock. I was standing there. I did not know what to say, what to respond. I mean, he was caught red-handed of not delivering orders. And come to find out, his garage was stuffed with orders as well. So mystery solved. We did find the missing orders. And oh my goodness, was that a shock where... A small business is really relying on the workforce, on the employees to show up and do the minimally required, right? Deliver the order. And even that wasn't done. And as a result, yeah. our reputation, our livelihood, our income was impacted. And that was just an interesting experience. I, I don't think you can call that quiet quitting. That's just flat out stealing. Because... Mm -hmm. He had no intentions well, of delivering me, it. 
it may fit the definition of the latter, the loud quitters. And loud quitters are actively disengaged employees who tend to do most of the workplace needs unmet and spread their dissatisfaction. So we thought an employee was satisfied in making things work and, you know, quiet quitting is like, eh, he wasn't quiet quitting. He was loud quitting. He just wasn't doing it at all. But to your point, Brian, I mean, stealing from employer and being wasteful. Tell me a little bit more about that thought. He wasn't delivering at all. He wasn't even in my book. Um, uh, loud quitting, if you want to call it that, because he wasn't doing his job at all, because hmm. everything was in his personal vehicle or his personal home which means he had no intentions of delivering it. And he was taking the orders and keeping them. I, I don't find that relevant. So the people that are loud quitters are the ones that are constantly complaining to you about what they're doing and how they're doing it and who's making them doing it and how it's wrong and they could do it so much better if they just get the opportunity and it's sowing negativity into the workforce. And that's not the same thing as to me, what you were describing where quiet quitting is I'm only going to put in the effort that I need to, to get it done. And I'm not going to go above and beyond. I'm not going to go to company meetings. I'm not going to, I'll go eat the food, but I don't really care about what they're saying. I'm going to go back to my desk soon as I eat the food. So it, there's, there's a major difference between actively not engaged and just quiet quitting because in the Gallup poll, they were saying 18% were actively not engaged, which is the loud quitting that you're talking about. And 50% were quiet quitting, which means they're not really making a fuss. They're just not doing anything above what they have to do to get by and not get fired. So leading into that, my question is, is burnout a step before quiet quitting or does quiet quitting lead to burnout? Oh, I'm going to jump in on that one. So, so give, um, we looked at some other stats recently, which were the 2023 burnout stats. According to those stats, 89% of the workforce has experienced burnout in the last year. So now you have 50% of the workforce are quiet quitters. So there's obviously an overlap here. Um, you know, if you if you look at the the math, it doesn't mean that everybody that's quiet quitting is necessarily in burnout or vice versa. But um, if you have you know 90% and 50%, you know the um, the minimum if you do the math on that is you've got about at least 40% of quiet quitters are also burned out. So there's going to be a lot of overlap there between burned out employees and quiet quitters. So I don't know which comes first necessarily, but a good proportion of those in burnout are quiet quitters. Well, I have a hard time believing that if you're not exhibiting some form of stress, whether you get to the point that you're willing to call it burnout or not, that you don't start quiet quitting. My quiet quitting probably started more because I was, well, we put in all the effort and then 
when bonuses came around or whatever, we wouldn't get the recognition and we wouldn't get the recognition when we did a really good job. So there's this one project that I worked on and my group did all the work that we were supposed to and we left like $800,000 on the table because we were that efficient in it. And instead of recognizing us and giving us bonuses based on that, they took that money and moved it into other departments on the same project because they were over budget. So not only did we get no recognition and no even pat on the back saying good job for what we did and definitely no you know, monetary bonus, we they took it a step farther and took all of the money away. And it was kind of at that point where I'm like, okay, so there's no point in putting in this effort because they don't care. So that was the start of burnout, but it was also the start of my quiet quitting. I wasn't going to put in all the extra effort because there was no reward for it. And that was a long time ago. I think there's it was almost twenty years ago. I think there's definitely a common I think there's definitely a common denominator between the two because Gallup article does talk about the overall decline was related to clarity of expectation, opportunities to learn and grow, feeling cared about, connection to organizations, mission and purpose, signaling growth disconnect between employees and their employers. So it all indicates the culture. So if we have a culture where employee feels left out and not recognized and doesn't feel like a valued contributor, then we do have the common denominator of potentially a toxic work culture between burnout and between quiet, quiet quitting. The Gallup article also called out that part of the contributing factors are burnout to quiet quitting. So they do call that out. So I do believe that quiet quitting is a symptom and it could also be an indicator to burnout. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at the factors you just named where you know they don't feel that they're cared about, they don't understand the expectations, they don't feel encouraged to grow and develop. So a lot of those have uh, kind of a corollary in the factors that cause burnout. Um, I thought what I thought was really interesting though is you know we we tend to blame the company and our managers, but in the same article it also called out that only a third of managers are engaged. 66% of them are not engaged. So then I'm thinking, okay, well, what's going on with the, the management? Is this the company's fault? Is this the leadership fault? Is this the direct manager's fault? You know, who is causing this breakdown in employer and employee relationships? I think it's a multiple cause because by the time you've hit a manager level, the amount of additional stuff that you have to do on top of trying to make sure that you're, the people working for you are doing what they're supposed to do, you're in meetings all day long. And if you're not in meetings, you're on phone calls. And if you're not in phone calls, you're having to see what's going on with people. I mean, by the time you hit management, you're not working 40 hours, even if you want to. And depending on the industry, I know like medical 
you don't get any overtime pay at all. But there's aspects in other fields where you're not necessarily charging for the overtime that you're working, even though you can charge and get paid for it because it's just administrative stuff and you don't feel like you can really charge for it. So there's a lot more workload on managers, but it's also who they choose for management. So it's kind of two sides to it. Yeah, there's there's always two sides. And I'm a recovering manager, so I had direct supervision and then I was also a program manager. So just like you're a recovering engineer. Um, and I will say that they don't give you any training on anything. I, I remember when I first became a supervisor, I attended a half day course on leadership. That was it as far as my company's training. Now, I went out and I read books and I found, um, you know, other resources to help. But so you got two things going on. You've got managers who, for the most part, don't receive training. They may have been really good at what they were doing, but they don't know how to lead. And then you have employees who are largely um, often afraid to speak up and afraid to take their concerns to their managers and afraid to reach out and try to get that help that they really need. So I, I see both sides of it. I've been on both sides of that. Um, yeah, Masha, you've been a business owner. You've obviously, you've been on both sides of that as well. Absolutely. And just thinking back to the corporate management roles that we were in, Michelle, you have eight hours of meetings, literally, you're back to back from dusk to dawn, and, and you still have eight hours of actual work that you have to do. And this is where you have this troubling environment of, well, I have to get back to these people, but I have to contribute to organization in this way because my expertise is required. And then you're you're kind of stuck in, well, I still have work to do, but I'm done with work, right? Because I have to go on and have a life. I don't work to live, right? Life is not just work. You don't show up and just get everything done all the time every day and you come back, go to sleep, wake up and do the next thing again. But this is kind of the culture. This is where we find ourselves in, especially with the virtual world. Um, we we tend to be more on demand and we feel more obligated to be available on demand. And I think what we're going back and referencing to the Gallup article is that our younger population, the Gen Zers and millennials, younger than 35, face the biggest outlash of this because they they are lacking all of those, well, want to begin as skills, right? Because we bring that generation up on demand in a virtual world. They're basically on their iPads and iPhones from diapers. They get instant gratification. And when they come into the virtual world, they oftentimes are lost because they don't get that direction and instruction of what their job expectation is and what they're expected to deliver, right? They're just kind of winging it. And then when the management comes down with expectations and accountability, it's a bit of a shocker. Whoa, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? And then you have that element of helplessness for that generation of two point, Michelle. How do I ask for help? I don't know how to do that, right? So for weathered 
employees like yourself and I in a prior corporate life, we were, you know, the overachievers. We were the, we're going to get it done one way or another. We leveraged each other. We leveraged the team to get things done. But now what we're seeing in the new generation that is taking over the workplace is they're lacking those fundamental skills. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was really interesting that particularly younger workers and even more so those who are working in a virtual environment, so they're working from home, they feel like they don't even know what the expectations are for their job. And, you know, some jobs, it, it's easy. If you're in a service environment, you know, you start out and you're working in fast food or whatever. I mean, you're on the line, you're flipping the burgers, you're putting sandwiches together. It's not rocket science. But as you get into more professional roles and into business and corporate environments, the reality is managers, and I'm going to include myself in this, sometimes we are terrible at setting expectations. So, you know, we, we bring these um, younger folks in who are used to having, you know, everything instantly and answers instantly, and then we give them no answers. We essentially tell them, here's what I want you to achieve, you know, go at it. And um, it's very challenging. So I do think a lot of this rests on, you know, those who are managers, um, there's a big responsibility to train and to help and to mentor and to guide um, workers, but not just the younger workers, older workers as well, anyone coming into a new role needs that time and attention from their manager. Looking at the statistics uh, between 2019 and 2022 data, the engagement within the population dropped 4%. The actively disengaged employees increased by 6%. The over 9% drop in employees who strongly agree that someone cares about them encourages their development and they have opportunities to learn and grow and furthermore encourages their development is dropping nine percent year over year that is a significant number and it's really disturbing that less than four in ten young remote or hybrid employees clearly know what is ex expected of them at work so if you think about we have uh, I would call it a corporate pandemic. We have more than 40% of, of our workforce that is disengaged. Then we have crazy astronomical numbers of burnout. So where is our workforce headed? What if suddenly overnight we'll see a more significant drop and more employees will be impacted? Where are we thinking about this, guys? I think we've actually seen a hint of that. So if, if you think back to the pandemic where you know, the workforce was completely disrupted and our supply lines were completely disrupted and all of the shortages, I think we're headed there, except that that's going to become the routine and the norm in our country if we don't fix this, because you're not going to have enough workers and those who you do have are going to do the bare minimum. So as a culture, as a society, we're all just going to have to get used to not being able to get what we want or need quickly. Um, we're gonna have to get used to very frustrated, overworked and burned out managers. And, you know, and I personally think, personally think about that. I'm like, ooh, I, I just, I don't want that. Um, 
you know, we all start out young in life and we're excited and we're energetic and we want to help others. We want to serve. I, I had a boss who I absolutely love to this day. Um, and she had this saying, she said, you know, people come to work with the desire to do a good job. And I think she's right. We want that meaning and that purpose and that camaraderie with our um, coworkers. And it's just so sad to think that we're losing that, you know, inch by inch. You know, they're just talking about younger workers, but there are definitely, it's anytime you get into a situation where you're taking on a new um, skill set, a new project, something you haven't done before, and you're nervous and whatever, and if you're not getting enough training, that's a cause, the same cause happens. Um, I think it's definitely, it was, it was not a good time to be a entry level worker coming into professional business during the time of COVID because you pretty much were guaranteed that there wasn't much you were going to do, especially. Well, there's two things. One, I think quiet quitting happened because people finally got a, were forced to go work from home in the professions that made it. And they started to realize that what they were doing before doesn't equate to what they feel like their lifestyle should be or the amount of effort to reward that they were getting. And I, we obviously know that's part of the reason why the great resignation happened, but that's also why quiet quitting happened or it started getting defined as that because people started realizing that the effort wasn't worth the, or the um, reward wasn't worth the effort going in. But that's even harder when you're starting out and you have people that are quiet quitting, but they're supposed to be teaching the younger people and they don't want to do that because it's too much effort and you're not face to face, which is where the best type of teaching happens. I mean, <clears throat> I had to, I had a lot of Zoom calls with people that I was working with that were entry-level engineers that it was a lot harder to go through and work on that just because you were on the screen. And during the time, I didn't want to be in the office because I was burned out at that point and I wasn't even sure I wanted to be in the industry. So it's just, you you want to do a good job of teaching them, but then your ability to teach is lessened because you're doing Teams meeting or Zoom meeting. And sure, you can get on their computer and show them what to do through that, but you, you're missing some of that connectivity and some of that just being able to fully um, help them. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, we're, we're moving towards a virtual world. I mean, obviously, with the pandemic and ever since then, we, there's no way we're going to completely go back, although many businesses have shifted back to a part-time at home, part-time in the office. But I think it is challenging to replace that, you know, one-on-one -on -one time. And, you know, for managers, it's it's not the same thing as, um, yes, you're going to meet with people virtually, you have your meetings, but 
it's different when you walk in an office and you, you know, walk around all the cubes, you say good morning to everyone. Hey, what, what are you working on? What are you doing today? How's life? Like, there's just a different level of communication that causes those um, relationships to kind of be that that tie that binds you all together. It's not the same. So I, I think that's a great question, though. Um, from the manager perspective, like what should they do? And then for those who are quiet quitters now, what should they do? Because I think quiet quitting, if you're an individual in that situation, it's usually a temporary thing. You can only do it for so long before you're tired of it. I mean, is that true? Brian, I know you said you've done that. So is that true? Like you just, you get tired of being in this situation? If you don't leave that situation, you're just gonna go further into burnout. I mean, there are already, um, there's already articles coming out talking about how quiet quitting is actually not working and people are just quitting. If you continue on quiet quitting, and like I said, I, I did it for pretty much 20 years, the level of burnout that I was in by the time I left, I mean, it was very high. I, I, I was just talking about how you needed to be in the office and face to face to be able to train people. And if my former boss ever sees this, he's going to laugh at me because I refused to go back to work when they were wanting us to go back into the office. I mean, I, I wanted full time remote. I was to the point where I didn't want that interaction, but that was the level of burnout that I was in. So if you're quiet quitting, you're just leading yourself down to more stress because whatever the cause of your quiet quitting, you're still in that cause. So mine was boredom, but then other stresses would come in with, you know, deadlines and coworkers and whatever. It's just, it just adds on to your stress and adds on to your stress and adds on to your stress and your level of burnout goes up to a point where you just do what we did and sold everything and left. I don't recommend that. But. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, just, you know, on the positive note, so we have just this great opportunity now. Um, so Brian and I, you know, we're traveling around. Um, we have a great big motorhome that we're touring the U.S. in and um, the our background is our morning view this morning as I was out walking our dogs, the, the backside of our campground, you know, just the, the beauty. Um, so we, d we decided we were done quiet quitting. We just quit and we're doing something entirely new. Um, eventually, most quiet quitters are going to get to that point where they're going to move on to something else. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a plus side to this. I think the question is, from, you know, for managers, can you afford to lose half your workforce because they're quiet quitting and they're probably moving on eventually? And then, um, you know, again, going back to the quiet quitters, how are they going to get out of this? Well, then my question is, is if you're quiet quitting, you need to evaluate whether the job that you're in is really what you should be doing anyway. Are you quiet quitting because you don't feel like this is the job that you want to be in, then why aren't you finding what you want to be in? If you are quiet quitting because you felt like you got betrayed, 
and you just want to sulk and linger on it, then you have to ask, why am I doing this? This is no benefit to your employer or yourself. You're just doing more damage. So if you're quiet quitting, you got to be like, what is the real reason why I'm doing this? Let's let's evaluate this. Let's do a deep dive, figure out where this quiet quitting desire is coming from and whether I can make a change and get out of it for the good or whether just changing jobs is going to just put me right back into a quiet quitting situation. What do I need to do to make it so I don't want to quiet quit? Because it's not an enjoyable environment where you're just barely doing what you need to do to to keep your job. That that's that's it's not it's not. <laughs> just don't do it. So, <laughs> so uh, go ahead. Interest interest interesting points. Uh first question, Michelle, you mentioned the background and it looks awfully a lot like Black Hills. So are you in South Dakota, Black Hills area? We are. We're in the southern Black Hills and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. This is a beautiful fall day. And how has changing your physical environment contributed to your recovery journey from burnout? Well, now there's a conversation for a whole other day. But, you know, one thing I did notice this morning as I was out and, and I clicked these pictures because I just had this moment where I was standing there and the dogs are, you know, running around. They're out in the, the dog park there. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what an amazing environment. I get to just stand here. The stress just has rolled off of us. Um, I was never a quiet quitter. I couldn't actually bring myself to do that. So I would just push on and push on. And as a result, you know, I did burn out. Um, but I will say that for us, changing our environment, being in these beautiful natural places, I don't, and doing something that we love, there's no desire to quiet quit. So I have a question for, for each of us and something I thought about. So I went out and I found another article that um, talked about what employers, managers, you know, what are the three or four things that you can do as a manager if, um, if you are worried about this in your workforce? And of course, not everybody is because, you know, there are some great teams out there um, that are very engaged and the team is just functioning very well. I've been part of a couple of those and it's an amazing experience, but you also have managers out there who are aware that, oh, wow, you know, part of my workforce is disengaged. So if you had to give one or two tips for managers, um, what would you tell managers? And then my, my second question is, especially for Brian, I want to know, you've kind of given this, but if you had to give one or two tips for quiet quitters who are in that situation, what would you tell them? Okay, so you can't give two questions. Go ahead. <laughs> well, why not? Okay, well, I think for the managers, uh, spending the human connection time with your employees is important. So in my prior corporation, you get one-on-one, -on -one, which is 30 minutes, once a month. I think we need more human touches in a virtual world where you can, we can bridge that human connection, whether it's 
with the manager, I think once a week, 15 to 30 minute pulse check is great. However, you know, time is uh, is uh, sacred nowadays. But that human touch with fellow employees as well. But I think the main thing the managers can do is make that time, right? So you have your competing priorities and everything has to be done now. Well, everything cannot be done now. You gotta prioritize based on your resources that are available, here are the things we're gonna work on. And you can't just say, oh, just one more thing. It's within your portfolio. You, you know, you're not, you know, that busy. You can do it. Well, you know, how can you decide whether an employee is busy or not? They may be very busy. You just uh, not not gauging that correctly. So and having that human touch is really important so you can know how well are your employees thriving in your environment. So to me, I'd say the top two things that a manager can do is make time, prioritize better to make that time, and to properly prioritize employees' time. Get rid of the fire drills. Make sure that you have a proactive environment based on those priorities. And you can achieve that by creating that environment with the leadership down, right? So we have these environments that are disconnected. You have your leadership environment and then you have your bottom line management environment. And oftentimes those two compete. Management, uh, leadership says management has to. Well, management needs to speak up that management can't because we stretch thin, give us more resources, right? That's that ever, ever tipping scale of what can be done and what should be done. And for quiet quitters, what I would really say is Get down to your why. We only have one life. We live one life. And it's our responsibility to find joy in every moment, to find our voices, to find our creative energy, to get out of the fear box and do something meaningful with your life. And if you're struggling in your work to find that, get down to the basics. What matters the most to you? Find that inspiration. Find that purpose and start pursuing it. Nobody is having this mindset any longer. I mean, we have, and it's generational. So I think we've evolving over my mom has to be, my mom says I have to be a doctor or she won't love me, right? So I think we're kind of over that. Of course, some cultures will argue, uh, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, you're not successful, but we're, we're not there. Uh, you can be uh, an artist and you can be successful if that's your passion. There is just so many things that you can do to bring value to your life and to the life of others, especially to your families, because they feel it too. Brian. Awesome. <laughs> what she said. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michelle, what about you? Wait. Okay, I take it back. Brian, Brian wants the torch. Go for it. Kids these days. Um, <laughs> it's not just about the one-on-one -on -one time with the managers and making sure that fire drills don't happen because you can't always make sure the fire drills don't happen. Uh, especially in the industry, it depends on the industry that you're in. I mean, there's just times where you have to do a fire drill, but what you can do is try to minimize the amount of fire drills and start to um, 
get a message out there saying, you know, we're not appreciative of fire drills, but when you have clients, it's hard to tell them no, especially when they're demanding it and they're really upset. So there's just times where the fire drill is going to happen. Training is one thing, making sure that you find the people who are willing to train the other people. Managers tend to think that, well, learning how to train people is just something that everybody has to learn. And that's not a bad philosophy, but there are some people that are really good at training and really good at teaching the people what they need to learn. And there are people that are just really, really bad at it. So it's recognizing what your talent is in your employees, what their talents are, who does what really well, and finding if they even want to teach. I mean, if you don't want to teach to train somebody, you're not going to do a good job training somebody. So you need to get to know your people enough to know what aspects they're really good at and what they excel in. And yes, I realize that you can't always get to do the things that you always excel in because other people need to learn it as well, or other people need the opportunity to do it as well. But it's just being aware of who you have and who you have under you and how to utilize them appropriately. So I I think I've already talked about quiet quitting enough because but on the other side of it let me let me say this I say I was quiet quitting for 20 years but that was because I couldn't see myself out of the job that I was in burnout will take away any thought processes because you don't really have any more capacity to deal outside of the stress that you're really dealing with so even though I wanted out of engineering. I couldn't see my way out of engineering. So then I was stuck in where I was because if I can't see my way out, then I might as well be making the money that I'm making. And those are two downward situations. So the first thing I would say is to start looking at your wants and your desires and figuring out whether they match your talents, what you're really good at, and what your desire is on following that purpose. So then you can start working towards that, but that's going to take some time, especially if you're in really heavy burnout. And two, you just got to start making sure you take some time to rest. It's not until you really start resting that you can really start to think for yourself because your body has a chance to settle down, um, relax, and give you the opportunity to start utilizing your imagination on what you need to do. But don't make rash decisions while you're in a state of burnout because you don't see clearly just yet. Take the time to take a deep breath, 
or two or weeks or months to figure out where you truly are and what you, what you need to do to emerge from burnout. Yes, and it's not easy because you your situation is already at a point that it's hard to move past it. I mean, there's obviously different levels of quiet quitting, just like there's different levels of stress and burnout. So uh, it really just depends on where you're at in that scale, too, as far as how quickly you can start figuring this out. And I have to applaud anyway. both of you for finding the courage, finding the courage to make the changes that you have to make, because I can tell you that I don't have the courage to quit my job and sell everything that I possibly have and downsize to an art. It's my dream state maybe one day, uh, but I definitely lack that courage to make that meaningful change. So thank you for showing us that it's possible. And, and Michelle, you left your employer one year from full retirement. Tell us a little bit about that decision point. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, like I said, I'm I'm not a quiet quitter. I just can't do that. I would rather just actually quit. Um, but interestingly enough, what happened in my life is I saw the people who are, you know, five years and 10 years ahead of me, managers and directors, and I saw that they were hanging on, not engaged, and I saw what it did in their lives. They were hanging on for retirement. And I'm like, why are you doing this? There's so many things you could be doing. Like, leave already. Go do something you want to do. Why are you allowing yourself to be kept in this situation? And and one of these, she wasn't my direct manager. She was actually my manager's manager. She looked so unhealthy. The last couple of years, she was hanging on for retirement. She had like three, four, five years to go. And I'm just looking at her going, well, I hope you survive in your retirement because you look awful. So I, I saw that example and was like, nope, I am not doing that. Um, and like I said, so I I was a manager. I had direct reports and then, um, you know, a, a program manager, which is a little different. You still have a lot of influence. You're not a direct manager. Um and I think as a manager, you just you cannot afford to be a quiet quitter because if you're a quiet quitter, guess what's happening with your team? So if you have that responsibility, like you just you just don't want to go there. Um, and then I'm going to go back and answer the other questions. So I love what you said, Masha, about the personal connection. Brian repeated that as well. I think that is. Um, crucial. And in fact, some of the research, I found another article and they said what these quiet quitters really want is they want their managers to meet them halfway. So they don't even expect their managers to, you know, make life perfect for them. They just want them to meet them halfway. Um, so, you know, going back to that personal connection, just meet your staff, you know, halfway. Um, but one of the other things that I think you can do is help your employees understand their purpose. Make sure they know what resources they have, whether it's mentors in the program, whether it's um, learning opportunities, you know, take that time to make sure that they are able to develop and they have a purpose and they understand where they fit in the company. And then for the quiet quitters, my advice would be to um, 
speak up because remember 66% of your managers are also essentially quiet quitting and not engaged. The reality is they may not know what you need because they are burned out and they're so tired and they're quiet quitting. And you might be surprised if you have that conversation with your manager, um, how much you have in common, number one. And number two, it might actually kind of spark and re-engage both of you. Um, so that's one. The other thing I would say, be patient. Be patient with yourself as you're kind of figuring this out because it's unlikely that the situation is going to resolve immediately. You're probably looking for a new job, but it's going to take some time. Be patient with yourself and just kind of realize this is um, a process. And eventually it's going to get better one way or another. Thank you. Excellent points. And one more thing actually came to mind is recognizing wastefulness in organization. One thing that I always valued and appreciated of our analytics team, Michelle, uh, was that they made us prioritize. Well, what's important? You only get X amount of things that we will work on, but that's it. And that's a struggle is that every time everything seems to be a priority. However, you got to ask yourself as a manager, well, is this request of the team, of the organization, of the resources that are going to be spent on this effort? Is that going to create true, meaningful, ongoing value? And if it's not, it's most likely a wasteful request of the organization to complete. And perhaps there is a different way to make an informed decision. So I would challenge leadership and management to really understand the workflows and wastefulness that is out there that is continuing to stress out your workforce and stressed out workforce will quiet quit. So that is my advice also to the management to be, to be diligent with the time and resources you have and recognize waste. Agreed. What a great conversation we had today. Thank you team for exploring the topics of quiet quitting and we will regroup next week for another headline.